Welcome back to Kohelet. This is a podcast brought to you by the elders of Maricopa Springs Family Church. And the purpose of our podcast is to explore theology on a deeper level, along with bringing you some sound biblical teaching. So right now we're going through a book called Systematic Theology by Dr. Wayne Grudem. I do encourage you to get a copy of this book for yourself. It's a big, intimidating book, but I think he does a wonderful job of making some complex theological ideas, very simple and accessible. And of course, it's heavily grounded in scripture. And I think that you'll find this book beneficial. After we finish our series through this book, then we'll go into some biblical teaching on some other books of the Bible. So I hope that you'll stick around for that. But over the last couple of episodes, we've been discussing the doctrine of the word of God. Essentially, what is it that Christians believe about the Bible? And today we're going to look at the first of four characteristics of Scripture. And as we explore the four characteristics of Scripture, we're really asking the question, what does the whole Bible teach us about itself? So specifically today, we're going to talk about the authority of Scripture. And I think this is a really important topic for us as Christians. As a pastor, I have unfortunately heard too many times Christians talk about the Bible as if it's a nice part of Christianity. It's a supplement to what we do as Christians, but it's not absolutely authoritative. It's not super necessary for the Christian life. And I think that that's a really tragic part of evangelical Christianity in America today. I've even had people say to me on a couple of occasions uh, in private discussions, well, I know what the Bible says, Grady, but as if there's something outside of the Bible or above the Bible or beyond the Bible that has more wisdom to bear on their situation than God's word does. So this is a very important topic because Christians need to have confidence that God's word is authoritative and that by living in accordance with God's word, They'll please God and they'll do what is best as God's creatures. So if you're following along in the book, then we find on page 62 a definition that Dr. Wayne Grudem gives us. He says, the authority of scripture means that all the words in scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. Let me read that again for us. The authority of scripture means that all the words in scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. So we begin our defense of this definition by pointing out that the Bible claims that all its words are God's words. The Bible does this in hundreds of different verses throughout the Bible. It would be way too difficult to list them all in this podcast. I don't think even Dr. Grudem attempts to list them all in uh, this chapter. But in the Old Testament, for example, we frequently find phrases like, thus says the Lord, with God's words following after that decree. You could see Ezekiel chapter 13 as an example of this, or Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 18 through 20, just as some examples. We also find places in the Old Testament where the text tells us that God spoke through a prophet. So an example of this would be 1 Kings 14, 18. 
As you read the Old Testament again and again and again, you hear these phrases, the prophet of God speaking on behalf of God or God himself saying, thus says the Lord. And as you read the Old Testament, you cannot miss the sheer weight that comes with this repetition, declaring again and again and again that God is speaking. And those words have been recorded for us in the Bible. But we also see something really interesting in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. And in Matthew 19, verse 5, we find Jesus in a discussion and he quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, as words that God said. So here's Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5. It says, and this is Jesus speaking, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, this is a really amazing quote from Jesus, because Genesis chapter 2 nowhere claims that these are the words that God spoke, uh, or that they're even God's words at all. They are just the recorded words of the narrator who is recording Genesis for us. And yet Jesus calls these words God's words. So Jesus quotes a random passage from the Old Testament and calls it God's word, which I think means that Jesus would be comfortable quoting any passage of the Old Testament and calling it God's word. Then we get to the New Testament and we come across a verse like 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 that tells us that all scripture is breathed out by God. What's amazing about this verse is that the word scripture here is the Greek word graphe. Graphe is a bit of a technical term for the New Testament writers. It's used 51 times in the New Testament. And every single time that it's used in the New Testament, it refers to the Old Testament writings. Not to any other words or writings outside of scripture. But we do find this word also applied in 2 Peter 3.16 and 1 Timothy 5.18. And in that instance, the word graphe is being used to describe the writings of the New Testament. Which means that during the writing of the New Testament, the authors themselves were aware that they were actually writing scripture and making addition to the scripture of the Old Testament. They call the Old Testament graphe and they call their own writings graphe to the exclusion of every other writing. Now, I could give several other passages that add to this, uh, that further clarify this idea that this is God's word recorded for us in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But to do that kind of is beyond the time constraints of our podcast. So once again, I'll just encourage you to pick up Grudem's book if you want to dig a little bit deeper. So as Christians, we believe the Bible is the word of God because that's what the Bible says about itself. That's important. A second reason why we as Christians believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God is because we've become convinced of the claims of the Bible as we read it. Now, we have to admit here that this is supernatural, but the Holy Spirit of God speaks in and through the words of the Bible to give us confidence that we are reading the very words of God. Okay, the simple truth is you cannot believe the Bible is the word of God unless the Holy Spirit leads you to believe that. 
So why do most people doubt that the Bible is true? Well, it's because the Holy Spirit has not opened their eyes to believe that it's true. The Bible even tells us this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. This means that non-believers reject the authority of Scripture because they don't have the Spirit of God. They are blind to these things, and unless the Spirit illumines them to see, they will not see. And it also means that Christians accept the authority of Scripture because they have the Spirit that has revealed it to them. And so we come to understand we're reading the Word of God as we read it. The Spirit opens our eyes more and more to see the truth of God's Word. And men, I can just personally attest to this over many years, at this point decades of reading the Bible, just how more and more I become convinced that this is absolutely the divine Word of God. Now, there is a lot of other evidence to support the fact that the Bible is true. There's a lot of historical evidence. There's a lot of archaeological evidence. There's a lot of scientific evidence. But for the Christian, we don't believe the Bible is true because there's archaeological or historical or scientific evidence. We believe the Bible is the true and authoritative word of God because we're convinced from the Bible itself. And again, this is a really important fact. It means that the Bible is self-attesting. So this is kind of difficult. Stick with me as I try and unpack this for you. You cannot appeal to a higher authority to prove that the Bible is God's word because then you would have an authority higher than the Bible. You'd have an authority higher than God. Again, I admit this is kind of a difficult uh, argument to grasp. So let me just quote Wayne Grudem from page 68 to try and be as clear as possible. He says, if we ultimately appeal to human reason or logic or historical accuracy or scientific truth as the authority by which scripture is shown to be God's words, then we have assumed the thing to which we appeal to be a higher authority than God's words and one that is more true or more reliable. So in other words, nothing can support the Bible. The Bible has to support itself because its claim is that it is, in fact, the word of God and therefore the highest authority. Now, you might point out, wait a second, Grady, I see what you're doing here. This is a circular argument. You say you believe the Bible is true because the Bible says so. And you believe what the Bible says because it claims to be true. And you believe the Bible is true because the Bible says it's true. Okay, so do you see the problem? Do you see the circular aspect of this argument? And this argument is often leveled at Christians, right? You believe the Bible because the Bible says it's true, and that's a circular argument, and therefore your argument is invalid. And that's sort of fair. The problem, though, is that this is a really inescapable problem, not just for Christians, but for anyone making an appeal to ultimate authority. All arguments for absolute authority, must ultimately appeal to that authority for proof. Otherwise, the authority would not be an absolute or highest authority. So to give you an example, Wayne Grudem records a couple for us, some helpful examples on page 68. And it it sounds like this. Someone might say, my reason is my ultimate authority because it seems reasonable to me to make it so. Right? So 
I think it's reasonable to believe that reason is the highest authority because it's reasonable. That's a circular argument. Or another one, logic, or sorry, a person might say logical consistency is my ultimate authority because it is logical to make it so. So I place authority in logical consistency because that logically is consistent. Again, circular argument. You see what I'm doing here, but let me give you a couple other examples. Someone might say the findings of human sensory experiences are the ultimate authority for discovering what is real and what is not because our human senses have never discovered anything else. Thus, human sense experience tells me that my principle is true. So this is the appeal to sense or experience. And again, you have to base it on your own sense or experience. And then finally, someone might say, I know that there can be no ultimate authority because I do not know of any such ultimate authority. And you begin to hear how absurd, actually, these circular arguments can sound. This is a deep philosophical study called epistemology. So if you're interested by this discussion and you want to learn more, you could go do some research on epistemology, the question of how do we know things. The Christian says that our epistemology comes from God's revelation first and foremost. So we base our understanding of what we can know on what God has revealed. Uh, I've got kind of a funny story about a time that my dad was interacting with a college student who was a secular atheist. And she said to him about some of his Christian claims, well, those are very interesting things, but my worldview is built on scientific knowledge. So I only believe what I can prove in a lab. And my dad responded and said to her, well, that's a very interesting worldview. Can you prove it in a lab? And of course, she was totally dumbstruck because she came to realize she had built her entire worldview on a system that couldn't be supported within its own system. Anyway, ultimately, as Christians, we believe the Bible is the word of God because it proves itself to be the word of God and also because the Spirit of God allows us to see it so. Now, I've studied some other religious texts like the Quran and the Book of Mormon. I've read large portions of them. Granted, not all of them, but large portions of them. And there's truly nothing like the Bible. I mean, those books don't even compare remotely to what we have recorded for us in the Bible. And that shouldn't be surprising because the Bible is the Word of God. Now, I believe that not only because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me, but also because as I read the Bible, it becomes more and more clear that this is God's word. It's consistent. It's true. It's good. It's beautiful. It's right. It's wise. Unfortunately, for most of humanity, because sin corrupts our minds and our thinking and prevents us from seeing the world rightly, most people reject the wisdom of God's word. And unless the Holy Spirit overcomes the blindness of sin, then we're unable to accept the authority of the Bible, even though it's actually perfectly rational to accept the authority of Scripture. So once we've addressed that the Bible is the Word of God, then we can address the second aspect of our definition from the beginning. Do you remember the definition? We said the authority of Scripture means that all the words in Scripture are God's words in such a way that to disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God. 
So if the whole Bible is the word of God containing everything that he wants us to know and everything that he wants us to believe and everything that he expects us to do, then the Bible has the very authority of God himself to direct our lives. And so if we neglect any of the Bible, if we disobey any of it, if we disbelieve any of the Bible, then we're actually displeasing God himself. Because this is what he has given us. This is what he has said to us. This is what he wants us to know. This is how he expects us to live. And this is why the Bible is so central for the Christian life. I mean, it's just a tragic thing that many people who claim to be Christians these days don't actually read their Bible. They claim to want to know God, and yet God has revealed himself. He's given them an authority that points to him, and yet they, they are not interested in it. But the Bible is central for the Christian life because we want to know it so that we can believe it and abide by it and follow it. Ultimately, not for the the Bible's sake, but because through the Bible, we come to know God himself. We especially come to know this God-man Jesus through whom we have received everlasting life. But Dr. Grudem doesn't end his chapter uh, on the authority of Scripture at that point. He goes a bit further to defend the truthfulness of Scripture. And we'll get into this, I think, a little bit more in the next chapter on inerrancy as well. But in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, we are told that God never lies. And since that's true, and all of Scripture is God's word, then there's no untruthfulness in Scripture. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 18 likewise tells us that it's impossible for God to lie. So we can be certain that every word of scripture is completely true and without error in any part. Not only that, but we also come to understand as we read God's word that God's word is the ultimate standard of truth. In John chapter 17 verse 17, Jesus declares about God the Father, Your word is truth. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that everything regarding truth will be found in the Bible, as if we cannot access truth about botanical biology except through Scripture. And we actually dealt with this uh, in a previous chapter, so maybe you want to go back and review that. But when Jesus says, Your word is truth, what he's declaring is that the Bible is the ultimate standard of truth. If we were to come across anything that claimed to be true, that was in contradiction to the Bible, then we must reject that thing and instead accept only the Bible as true. The Bible is the reference point by which every other claim to truthfulness must be measured. And I cannot overstate this emphatically enough. Again, that doesn't mean if you want to know about plant biology that you should go to the Bible as the source. It only means that whatever the Bible does say about plants must be true, regardless of whatever the science books say. So, for example, God made plants as part of his creation. They didn't just evolve into existence through millions of years of evolution. Every claim to truth that you hear should ultimately be measured according to the standard of the Bible, because truth is what God says, and we have what God has said recorded for us in the Bible. 
So truth is not a standard that exists that is above God. No, God is, and therefore what he says is true. Well, I hope this discussion was helpful for you. More than anything, I really hope it increased your confidence in God's word. Um, Even if you're listening to this podcast and, you know, because your life is busy, this fits into your schedule as you commute to work or something like that. But if you're not engaging in God's word and instead you're listening to a theology podcast, I would encourage you to reprioritize your life. Turn the podcast off and go back to the Bible and start there. And after you've grounded yourself well in the word of God, maybe come back to something like this that will help you get a a more comprehensive picture of how all the parts fit together. But I hope that this time listening to the podcast has increased your confidence in God's word. The more that you read it, I'm sure that the more you'll come to agree God's word is full of truth. It is true. It's full of wisdom and beauty and goodness. And there is no greater authority upon which you could build your life than the scriptures. And you will be eternally blessed if the Bible is your firm foundation, not only in this life, but also in the life to come. So that's all for this episode. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode as we talk about the inerrancy of scripture. It'll be a little bit of a detour before we get back to the four aspects of scripture. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into the authority of scripture by addressing the inerrancy of scripture. So I hope you'll join us for our next episode. Until then, blessings.